Hello, hello. How are you guys doing? That's not bad. That was good. The first service was the same way. Like sometimes we say that and it's like dead silence. And other times it was, that was good. That was really good. First service like shocked me too. I almost like passed out. So that's awesome. I'm glad you guys are doing good. And I'm glad to be here to worship. And I love what we just sang. All other ground is sinking sand. We stand on Christ, the solid rock. I love it. So today we are talking about a glory that never fades. Do you know if you're a believer that inside of you is Holy Spirit with a glory that will never fade, no matter what you're going through, no matter what circumstance, that there is a glory that never fades within you? See, most of us don't live like that. You're like, I'm not feeling very glorious today, Brian. Well, let me tell you, the scriptures say there's a glory They'll never fade in you. So we're going to be in Exodus chapter 34, starting in verse 29, and it'll be on the screen if you want to open up your Bible, and I'll get going. We've got a lot of scripture, which is an awesome thing we've got to cover. So when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands, that's the Ten Commandments, the two stones, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant. And they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him and he spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near him and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given them on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with them, He removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went to speak to the Lord. So you remember the tent of meeting, right? Remember the tent of meeting right there? So Moses was going in and out of his, and his face was radiant. But then the radiance would fade away, and he would cover his face. And he's in the presence of the Lord, so much that his face is shining when he comes out. But after a while, it begins to fade. It's sort of like this. Jewish men still wear this as a prayer shah. Jesus wore one of these. And for centuries, Jewish men and Israelites have worn this. And so you can picture this around Moses. And he comes out, and his face is shining. But it starts to fade. And so he puts over this over his head where no one can see him until he goes back into the tent and he's face to face with the Lord. But when he comes out, he gives the command, his face is radiant, but then it starts to go away and he covers his face whenever he's around anybody else until he goes back into the tent of meeting. This is a metaphor of the old covenant on Mount Sinai, but the Spirit of God writes through Paul in the New Testament that we have a new covenant, and he's going contra- to contrast these things, old covenant and new covenant. Listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, starting with verse 6. He has made us as competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. What is the letter? It's the letters that were etched on stone. It's the Ten Commandments, the Old Covenant. Now, if the ministry that brought death, so what does it bring? Death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, 
fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? And I want you to catch this. If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, so what was the purpose of the old covenant? Condemns. Condemnation. Isn't that a great word? Good morning, Brian. Condemnation. Don't we love that? That's a great morning word, isn't it? Thanks for going to church today. Condemnation. But that's what the old covenant did. It condemns men, and it had a glory to it. How much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. And listen to what it says. But their minds were made dull for this, to this day. To this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ Jesus is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, the Ten Commandments, the Old Covenant, a veil covers their hearts, everybody in the world. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And this is when it gets really cool, really good. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And this verse 18 is where we're camping out today. This is where we're going to be at. This is, this is our verse. But we all, all believers, all Christians, if you've been born again, but we all, not some people, born again believers, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Did you catch that phrase, beholding? Beholding. So here's the question. Is your face radiant with the glory of the new covenant that will never fade? Or are you living in condemnation? Have you picked the veil back up and put it over your head? You see, what you behold is what you become. You become what you behold is another way to say it. When they looked at Moses, it says they feared and looked away in fear. Why? What did they see? Well, we already read it. They saw condemnation. You can behold the Lord under the glory of the new covenant, or you can pick up the veil and walk under condemnation and shame of the old covenant. The problem is, as believers, is we pick the veil back up and we put it around our face in shame and condemnation. And we live under the flesh. We live under condemnation. The letter that kills, not the spirit who gives life. And here's why. When Moses went out and his face shone, it started to fade, to dim. This is why. Because his flesh was back, his sinful nature. All the Ten Commandments could do was condemn him. He had to cover his face because the law or the Ten Commandments, while they're good, right? Those are good commandments. The Ten Commandments are good. While they're good, they can't change hearts. And if you break one command, it says guilty. No matter how many good things you've done, it doesn't matter. One offense, and it says, that's it, you're guilty. And we walk in condemnation and shame. 
It didn't change Moses' heart or the people's heart, but brought death. It highlighted him. I want you to hear this because this is key to understand if you picked up the veil because this is what happened to Moses. In other words, Moses beheld himself and his faults. That's all God's holy and good commandments can do is get you to see how much in need you are of a Savior. That's it. And the glory faded when Moses saw himself. And to this day, to this day in Israel, all people of the world are veiled until Jesus takes the veil off. They can only look at themselves and their faults. So let me contrast it this way. Moses and Jesus. Moses, under the old covenant, is a fading glory. It brings condemnation and death. The letter kills, written on stone tablets. And this is what you need to hear. We behold ourselves and our faults and failures. That's all it can do. All we can say is, those commandments are really good, but I'm not able to keep them. I'm a failure. With Jesus, the glory, it never fades Under the new covenant, it brings freedom written on human hearts. The Spirit gives life. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk according to the Spirit and not the flesh. We behold Jesus, and this is what I love. This is it. This is it today. We behold Jesus, and our faults and failures are transformed. See, I know a lot of people, you love Jesus in here. I know many of you. You love Jesus, you're saved, but you picked up the veil. You're walking in shame and condemnation. That's who you are right now. That's who you think you are in Christ Jesus. And I want you to picture the whole world veiled because we all have a sense of morality. God's laws are in in our hearts all over the world. But the law can do nothing to change our hearts. In fact, it condemns us and cuts us off. But when we come away from a works-based covenant, a rules-based covenant, to the Spirit who gives life, we are unveiled, beholding Jesus with the eyes of our heart, and we receive new life, and we're no longer under condemnation. Let me put it this way. The letter kills because you can't be good enough. You can't earn it, and it condemns and says you're guilty, but the Spirit gives life because Jesus died for the penalty of our sins, and he gives us new life. What are you beholding? Yourself? Your failures, your flaws, are you beholding the perfection who is Jesus? Are you trying to be perfect? Think about the act of covering and hiding. When you cover your face, you're hiding. In human behavior, the emotion most associated with hiding the face is shame or guilt. We call it condemnation. The feeling of shame brings an immediate and deep instinct to hide and cover the face. Even infants, or think of children still do this. Even infants or children confronted by embarrassment or mild shame will cover their faces with their hands or quickly tuck their face into the chest of the one holding them. It is part of the unbearable quality of shame. It communicates guilt. I'm not good enough, and maybe I'm not loved or accepted. Sally Lloyd-Jones wrote the storybook Bible for kids. If you're a parent, you need to run out and buy this. The storybook Bible, I bring mine in, but it doesn't even have covers anymore. There's like pages coming out. It's so amazing. We've had it for years and years. And somebody interviewed her and asked the reason why she wrote it. There was other children's Bible out there. Why did you do this? So I want to read this because I think it reveals the heart and the thinking when we get the veil back on. When we go back to the old covenant, she writes this. I grew up thinking the Bible was a book of rules to keep and heroes to copy. But I knew I wasn't good enough to keep all the rules. And then those heroes, 
I knew I could never dare to be like Daniel. I was terrified of being thrown to the lions. I couldn't ever be that brave. So it left me with the sense that God must not love me because I wasn't being good enough, that's keeping the rules, or being brave enough like Daniel or David. So I wrote the Jesus Storybook Bible because I wanted children to know the Bible isn't mainly about you and what you're supposed to be doing. It's about God and what he has done. It's the story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. And she goes on. When I go into churches and I speak to children, I ask them two questions. And I'm asking you these questions because many of you have grown up in the church and this is exactly how you think. She said, first, how many people here sometimes think you have to be good for God to love you? Many of them tentatively raise their hands and more go up. And second, how many people here sometimes think that if you aren't good, God will stop loving you? They look around and again, they raise their hands. These are children in Sunday schools who know Bible stories. These are children who probably also know all the right answers. And yet they have somehow missed the most important thing of all. They've missed what the Bible is all about. She goes on to say, I was the same. I tried to be good. I really did. I was quite good at being good. But however I tried, I couldn't keep the rules all the time. So I knew God must not be pleased with me. I knew I wasn't nearly brave enough or faithful enough or good enough. And shame set in. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, the Christian does not think God will love us because we are good, but that God will make us good because he loves us. Do you hear the difference? See, the veil says, I'll try in my own strength to follow the rules. And when I can't follow the rules, I'll cover my head in shame, guilt, and condemnation. I'll behold me. And the glory fades. Listen, rules don't change you, but a relationship with Jesus can. It can change your heart by the power of his spirit. And when you walk in his righteousness, that far surpasses rules. And he'll make you good with his goodness, not your own. See, so often we hear this as pastors. This is for real. We hear this all the time. We hear people say, if I step foot in the church, lightning may strike. Have you heard that? People joke around about it. I'm serious. I can't tell the times I've heard this. See, that's called condemnation when a person says that. It's the old covenant. In John, the Bible says, God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world, but to save the world through his son. And Jesus, right after he said that, said, here's the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead. In other words, Jesus is reaching out his hand, no condemnation, and yet men love darkness instead of light to come in the light and be saved. Is that you? How did you answer those questions that were on the screen? Jesus came to reconcile you to the Father on the cross. Do you hear condemnation in that? Reconciliation, this beautiful word of the Father reaching down to mankind through Jesus Christ. So here's some questions to see if you've put the veil back on. Ask yourself, am I bound by anything Fear, sin, worry, regret. Maybe what Jen Weekly said up here about your thinking and your negativity. Ask yourself, am I transactional with the Lord? Do you know what transactional with God means? If I do this, you'll give me this. And if I don't, 
it means I'm not blessed or you don't love me. And we get mad at God. Are you walking in that kind of condemnation? God is not a, a God of conditional love. He has unfailing, unconditional love. If so, you're probably walking under the old covenant. You've put the veil back on. It can't change your heart. It simply can point out what you're doing wrong and condemn you. That's it. It has no power to help you. But Paul said in verse 18 in Corinthians that we are being transformed. You can be transformed. You can take the veil off in Christ. That word transformed is the Greek word metamorphe. It's where we get our word metamorphosis of a butterfly changing. See, this is the key to being transformed. Being transformed requires beholding. Remember in verse 18 what I said? Underline it. Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Not beholding our faults, but beholding Jesus. That's what transforms us. See, the word beholding means more than a casual look. It means a careful study, not just a gaze, but a long study. In Christ, we have something to behold, someone to study, a relationship to invest in. We can be transformed by the glory of the Lord, but only if we will carefully study him. The problem is, is that many of you are beholding the world, beholding your circumstances, and your eyes are off Jesus, and you put the veil back on, and you're all into all kinds of addictions, all kinds of problems, and you're strayed from the Lord, has shame and guilt set in. You know, I put that picture of the tent of meeting up there. Paul says, we are the tent. Another word for tent is tabernacle or temple. Do you know right now, if you're a believer, the Holy Spirit, the presence of God lives in you. We should hit the deck that a holy God could reside in us. I don't know about you, but I know me, and the fact that a holy God would reside in me is amazing, amazing. Listen, you can ask my wife. There's only one good thing about me. It's Jesus. That's it. That's all I got to offer. Are you spending time in the tent beholding the Lord? Is it a duty or a delight? John Piper talks about our time with the Lord. We can make it a duty or you can make it a delight. Child of God, if you want to know how can I change, the best and most enduring change comes into our lives when we are transformed by time spent with the Lord. See, there are other ways to change. Guilt, willpower, but none are as deep and long-lasting as the transformation that comes by Holy Spirit as we spend time in the presence of the Lord. You are a moving temple, moving around everywhere you go, at your job, wherever you're at, at the ballpark, doesn't matter where you're at, Holy Spirit resides in you and it's a meeting place for God to break out. See, to behold glory, you must be emptied of your own glory. I don't know about you, but I want the capital G glory, not the little G glory of Brian, because I got nothing to offer. If you want to behold God's glory and there's no room, no sacred space for him, if I'm keeping him small in my life, there's just one solution, less of me and more of Jesus. No other images, no idols, more Jesus, less of me. It'll look different for each one of us. For me, it's less relying on myself, 
less protecting myself, less craving approval, less controlling things I can't control in the first place. Listen, control is a myth. Let's just bust that myth. God is in control. We're not. You become what you behold. I love this picture. Now, believe it or not, that's not a brother and sister. You become what you behold. Have you ever noticed how married couples start to look like each other after a while? I was going to use those photos of how the animals start looking like their master or whatever. You know, you got the poodle and then you got the crazy hair. You know, you're like, whoa, what's happening here? But it's true. And I read this in a magazine and I'm quoting, people often unconsciously mimic the facial expressions of their spouse in silent empathy. And over the years, sharing the same expressions, it shapes their face in a similar way. Listen, we are mirrors reflecting and mimicking each other and those closest in your life. You become what you behold. And I don't know about you, but they're looking a little happy in life, aren't they? I'd rather look like Jesus, all right? See, this verse in Corinthians likens us to mirrors with unveiled or uncovered beholding and reflecting the glory of the Lord, but what is your eyes on? You're either reflecting your glory or the glory. Notice this verse didn't say, but we all, with much determination, endeavoring with all our own strength to be Christ-like. But that's how we live, right? It says, simply behold Jesus and reflect him like a mirror. Listen, child of God, Jesus didn't ask you to try harder. He asked you to behold. Get in the tent, because that's where freedom is. The spirit of the Lord is freedom. Beholding is simply a matter of where our heart is engaged and what it's interested in. Striving, struggling, or working aren't involved. See, an easy way to find out what we're beholding is to ask ourselves, Where's my heart engaged? What captures my heart? Where do I spend my time? We behold the Lord by turning our heart to him. That's it. That's the secret. You're like, that's it. That's it. If our hearts are beholding something other than Christ himself, we'll inevitably reflect and mirror that thing. You reflect what you behold. Let me put it a different way. You will conceive what you put before your eyes. Or, wherever you look is where you will end up going. This is why David said, I have set the Lord always before me in Psalm 16, 8. And in Hebrews, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Because you will conceive what is before your eyes. And you will end up where you are looking. And you will become what you behold. See, look at the world, man. It's gone crazy. The world is becoming more and more like what they're beholding. And so are we. Are we looking more like the world? Are we looking like Jesus? If you want to know what you are beholding most, just look in the mirror. Are you looking like Jesus? What you are beholding will clearly be seen by what you are becoming. Matthew 7, 20, Jesus said, by their fruits, you shall know them. Jesus understood this principle that where you look is where you will go. If our eyes, heart, and mind are on Jesus, then you will be conformed into his image. But there's a flip side to that coin, a dark side to that coin. In Matthew 5, 28, Jesus said, 
Whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Jesus understood this principle that where you look is where you'll go. Adultery and fornication begin with lust. Murder begins with hate. Robbery begins with covetous and greed. Wherever your heart, eyes, mind are set, the rest of you will end up eventually. You will become like what you behold. In light of this reality, what do you think for us will be the consequences of this avalanche of images that we're constantly bombarded with that glorify whatever it is, violence, drug use, sexual aggression, social media. People become like what they set their minds, hearts, and eyes on. Maybe it's good things that you set your eyes on, but they're not God things. Maybe you've put something before the Lord, and the Lord is not before you. Second Corinthians talks about the glory of the Lord on us. And it goes on in chapter 4 and says this, But we have this treasure, the glory of the Lord, the spirit of freedom living within us in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Think of a weak earthen vessel. All this pressure is coming on it, but we have a treasure, the glory of the Lord, the Spirit of God living in us. We're fragile and easily broken. We're earthen vessels. We can't change anything. Listen to what it says. The verb beholding, we are changed, is passive in the Greek. We don't produce the change. Think of these earthen vessels as marble and a sculptor sculpting marble. The marble can never carve itself. The transformation must be wrought with patience by the sculptor's own hands. We cannot change ourselves into the image of Christ's glory. But through Christ we're changed. We simply behold Jesus and his light streams in upon us and imprints its own radiant glory upon our hearts. You see, when we behold, the glory flows in and through our flaws Making a masterpiece. Mark Batterson in his book, Soul Print, talked about the David that Michelangelo sculpted. How many of you know you've seen that, the David that Michelangelo sculpted? One person, that's awesome. He was naked in the sculpture. I was gonna put it on the screen, but you know, it was like, those emails are gonna be interesting. But I wanna quote this. I found this powerful. To the average eye, it was a mutilated piece of marble The aborted sculpture had been abandoned half a century earlier by many artists who declared that it would never be used. But a young artist named Michelangelo saw something in the stone that others did not. Chiseling the 18-foot block of marble would consume nearly four years of his life. But that seemingly worthless stone was destined to become what many considered the greatest statue ever sculpted by human hands. Giorgio Vasari, a 16th century artist and author, called it nothing less than a miracle. Michelangelo resurrected a dead stone that was marred and flawed, and he breathed artistry into it. He brought David into existence. And as he chiseled, Michelangelo envisioned what he called the image of the heart. He believed that the masterpiece was already inside the stone. All he had to do 
was remove the excess stone so David could escape. He didn't see what was. He saw what could be. He didn't just see the imperfections in the stone as blocking his work. It should be abandoned, but used them to his advantage. He saw a masterpiece of unparalleled beauty. You may not feel like it, but in Ephesians says, you are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good works. You took shape in the imagination of the Almighty before you took shape in your mother's womb. See, that word masterpiece is from the Greek word poimeia, and it's where we get our English word poem. But it refers to any work of art. The Lord is saying, you are his painting. You are his novel. You are his sculpture. And the scars and the brokenness, the Holy Spirit will work through you. God is shaping a David out of you. See, we have this treasure in earthen vessels of clay, fragile, beat up, scarred from life. Many of you resemble this. You're like, that's how I feel. I ain't feeling like a David. I'm feeling like that. You see, we resemble this more than we do David, right? But he is making a David out of you into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. That's who you are. He can see the heart and transform you into the image from glory to glory. He is sculpting you through all the challenges and problems of life. When you behold him, when you get your eyes off you, You can't help but have hope. I love what Jen Weekly said in her devotion, the dedicated time of prayer. She brought up a scripture that Jesus said to his disciples when they were brokenhearted that he was leaving. He said, take heart, take heart, for I have overcome the world. That word, take heart, is tharseo, and this is what it means. It means be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. The first thing is Jesus always said that to people. And did you know, that Jesus never said that on a sunny day. He never said that to somebody when life was going great. Tarseo means don't be afraid, take heart, be of good cheer. Listen, when you're going through a hard time and your friend comes up to you and says, be of good cheer, you want to slap them, right? But when Jesus says, be of good cheer, Tarseo, we better listen. He's saying, behold me, not your circumstances. See, we do a lot of beholding our circumstances, a lot of eyes on us, a lot of eyes on perfection, but we need to get our eyes on Jesus, the true perfection. It's not denying reality. Listen, you can, your health can be sick, but be radiant with the glory of God. You can be in prison and not a prisoner like Paul was or like Peter when he was in prison, just worshiping, beholding the glory of the image that is Jesus. You can be broken, but when we behold the glory, Holy Spirit starts getting shiny on us. The radiance of the sun gets on us, seeping through the vessels of our brokenness, shaping us. It's not denial of reality. If Jesus would come down here be beaten, spit at, cussed at, called an imposter, and carry a cross for our shame, I think he knows realities when he says, be of good cheer. He knows reality. But see, Jesus was looking to a greater reality. He was beholding something. There was something before his eyes. He was beholding the Father. 
He was looking at the Father and heaven's realities. See, the whole point of this day has been to, that we need to behold Jesus. But I haven't mentioned that something that may be very, very obvious. It wasn't to me until I was doing the sermon. He's already beholding you. And I want to end with this blessing in Numbers. It's the only blessing that God himself declared that he verbally spoke to Moses and told Moses to write it down for Aaron to say. In fact, I got made fun of in my D group. Sam DeWitt is watching, so that's a shout out because I know Sam is watching and he was laughing at me when I brought this up because you guys know who Spock is from Star Trek, right? Well, you know how we do the live long and prosper? Well, Leonard Nimoy is a Jewish man that grew up with rabbis doing this and declaring this blessing over them. And so when he was asked to do that, that's how he came up with live long and prosper. It's really just a ripoff of what God says in Numbers. And so the rabbis would put their hands like this and pronounce the blessing. And this is Yahweh. This is the name, the sacred name. So I want to read this over you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. His face, his countenance are upon you. That last part of him having to lift up his countenance, of him lifting up his countenance, isn't God looking down? How does he lift up his countenance? See, in the Hebrew, it's a picture of the Lord bowing down before you and lifting up his countenance to look you in the eyes. And if you're, you're like me, the Holy One of Israel, the God of, of all the earth, the creator in heaven is bowing down before me, never, may it never be. Well, that's exactly what Peter said when Jesus bowed in front of him and washed his feet. The king of glory is his name. He humbles himself before you. We ought to hit the deck knowing that. He is beholding you. It's like when you see someone smiling and you can't help but smile. Somebody better smile because this is going downhill if you don't, because I'm smiling. Or when somebody's laughing and it's contagious. Or what I do to Ellie. I don't even know if Ellie's in here. So don't tell her if she's in here. But I will do this thing when we're driving. I'll start yawning. I'll be like, like that. And then she starts yawning. She's trying not to. There she is. She does that. She starts laughing and then she covers her mouth because she starts to yawn. See, it's contagious, right? It's contagious when we look at the one who is beholding us. God is beholding you, lifting up his countenance to look at you with all your flaws and failures. You are good enough because he was good enough to die on the cross for you and he's looking at you and it's contagious. See, the way you look at life is a direct reflection of the way you think God is looking at you. Is it in condemnation or freedom? Is it of the letter or of the spirit? We become what we behold. There's sale. Be of good cheer. Take heart. Will you pray with me? Lord God, I just thank you for this day. I thank you that you have told us, Tarseo, be of good cheer. Take heart, for you have overcome the world. Father, I'm asking right now, Lord, for those who are walking in condemnation, for those who have lifted up the veil, that Holy Spirit, they once again would renounce the veil, tear it off, leave it on the ground, and walk in the freedom and the power of the Holy Spirit. The Father, they don't have to get right before they come to you. You made it right so they could come to you. Lord, I pray for every believer in here who's walking in condemnation, that they would walk in the Spirit. 
for you've called them to a life of no condemnation, that the power of the Spirit will transform their failures and their weaknesses and their minds. And Lord, for those who don't know you this morning, that the veil is still on their minds and their hearts, let it be lifted in the name of Jesus. And I pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. If you don't know Jesus this morning, that verse in Corinthians said you still have a veil over your heart and mind. Today, the veil needs to drop, and it only drops through Jesus, not you being good enough, but that Jesus died 2,000 years ago on a cross, shed his blood for you to cover over your sins so you could be forgiven and set free. Stop carrying the weight of condemnation. Let it drop. Give your life to Jesus. If that's you, the Bible says you just have to call on the name of the Lord Jesus and be saved. So where you're at is we're worshiping. Say, Jesus, save me. Come into my life. That's all you have to say. And if that's you, we're going to be right back there through next steps. I want you to get up and come and talk to us. If you gave your life to Jesus today, because we want to pray over you. Maybe you're a believer that's walking in condemnation. You've been entangled in sin. The Bible says, get rid of the sin that so easily entangles and let us look unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. It's time to get your eyes off you and onto Jesus. It's time for you to get help. It's time for you to come clean. It's time for you to return to the Lord. His face is upon you. His face is upon you. He is looking at you. If that's you, anytime during this worship music, you can get up and go to next steps. You can come bow over here. Whatever it takes, don't do the journey alone because that's where Satan wants you is alone. That's the devil's playground. But have brothers and sisters in Christ that know the journey's hard, but have their eyes on Jesus to surround you and take you with you and carry you when you can't carry yourself. Let me pray one more time. Lord God, I just pray right now that any darkness, any lie of the enemy, any demonic force that's trying to bind your people or those who don't know you, I command in the name of Jesus to flee. And Holy Spirit, I ask the spirit of holiness that you would come and baptize. That God, you would move in power. The Lord's salvation would come today, Father. That you would break chains today, Lord. That the scales of eyes would come off our eyes and we would see you, Jesus, the truth and reality that life is short, that life is running out and eternity is long, that we'll make the decision to follow you today, to put you first. I thank you for your amazing grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand and let's sing at any time. You can slip out and come over to the next steps.